Well, greetings. I want to welcome you to the least popular sermon that I could possibly preach. Um, and no, I didn't save it for a holiday weekend. Maybe some people are away and we could sneak this one in. Uh, we are, we're talking about God's judgment today. This is a, an offensive notion. Uh, but I, we didn't sneak it in this weekend. We're, we're preaching through some of the core beliefs of our faith for, as followers of Jesus Christ. And we, so we're using as a framework the Apostles' Creed, which is a, an ancient summary of the Christian faith and core beliefs. It's a, it's a summary of faith that's shared by most Christian traditions. And uh, so we come today to the phrase uh, that he, Jesus, is coming. So he's, last week we looked at Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This week it's from thence, from, from there, he's going to come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead, that Jesus will come uh, a second time as a judge and will, will judge all people, all nations. And uh, again, this is very offensive. I don't know if you've seen the ad campaign for Planet Fitness. Their, their whole motto is judgment-free zone. And it's just very clever marketing, and it's very uh, popular. They, you know, you're going to go to this place, and you will not be judged. You just come, and you work out the way you want, and nobody, there's going to be no, uh, what do they call it, lunk? There's like a lunk alarm. There'll be no lunks, and you won't be judged. And it's, it's this is a, that's a very, that resonates with the world around us. Judgment does not resonate. We live in a world that, the predominant worldview for most people is very relativistic, that, uh, that each individual is free to choose his or her own uh, uh, morality, what is right and wrong, and what is true, and, and what, is, uh, what is meaning in life. And the extension of that worldview, that everybody just chooses their own reality and morality, is that you, you really then can't say that anything is right or wrong. You can't make any sort of judgment that something is ultimately right or wrong because it's all relative. So if you claim that something is right or wrong, you're seen as a judger, judgmental. And that, that's, in the world's eyes, is, is uh, offensive. Now we're talking about the God of the universe, who's the ultimate judge. Now this is very offensive, even to the point where people will say things like this. And maybe you've heard things like this said. Maybe you've thought these things yourself. People say this. I can't believe in a God of wrath and judgment. I can only believe in a God of love. How can a loving God send people to hell? A loving God would not allow it. And love is the essence of God. I believe in a God of love, not a God of judgment. I don't know if you've heard that type of reasoning before, or maybe you've uh, thought that yourself. Uh, I want to, what I, I want to, I want to challenge that today. And if that's your view, I actually, my intent is to challenge you to to reconsider what you're saying. And for those of us who uh, aren't asking those questions, to, to be able to understand who God really is. But I just want to stop and pray before we dig into this. So, so Father, let's pray. Father, you're good. And when we consider you, and when we consider your heart, we acknowledge that we are reaching far beyond what we could ever comprehend in our minds. Yet, at the same time, we believe that you have revealed yourself to us 
through your word and through this world and that we can know you and understand your heart. So we pray this morning that that would happen, that we would understand your heart. So we pray that you would be our teacher and we pray that we would yield to you. We would understand you rightly, Lord. So we give you this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I believe in a God of love, but not a God of wrath or judgment. That sounds really nice. My question to somebody who holds that is, where did you get that idea that God is a God of love? How did you come up with that notion? Because in what evidence would you use for me? What evidence from nature, from the natural world, would you give me to prove that God is a God of love? Because if we look at the world around us and science and the way that the world works, it's a very sort of survival of the fittest kind of world we live in. Stronger wins out over the weaker. That should, that's the way things work naturally. So shouldn't that just be acceptable to us? But deep down, that's not acceptable to us. We don't believe that the weak should be victimized just because a stronger person is able to do that to them. There's something within us that says actually the way that the natural world works isn't quite right that there's something better out there. But nature doesn't prove this God of love. What about human history? How have humans interacted with, with each other through the history of, of humankind? Um, what evidence would you use from that to prove that God is love? Human history, as we look at movements of people and nations, we see a domination of, of wars and killing, dominance, imperialism, even racism. Love and compassion seem to be uh, the exception to the rule, not the main thrust of human history. So that doesn't reveal some, at least it doesn't dominantly reveal a God of love. You could look to world religions, systems of faith that are out there, and where, where do you find this God of love idea? Uh, uh, this systems of philosophy or faith like Buddhism has a very high value on selflessness and service to others. It's a very good and caring thing. But the notion of a loving God isn't there, because love is a personal, uh, a personal thing, and there's no sense of a personal God in that system. There, there are systems that do have more of a, a, a notion of God as person. A Muslim would say, well, God is loving in the sense that God is merciful or God is kind. But it's nothing like the Christian notion of, of God's love. We understand the love of Jesus as the love of a spouse, a very intimate and personal love that the Holy Spirit pours out that love in, 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 ex, in a living and experiential way in the heart of the believer. A Muslim person would say, well, no, it, that's, that's offensive to say that you could have a personal relationship with God like, like a husband and, and a wife that's just... God is too other and to, to do that. So where do you get this idea that God is a God of love that you believe in? And I would argue that that's a Christian idea, that this is a biblical idea, that, that the God of the universe is a God of love is, comes from Scripture. And I believe it. I believe that God is a God of love. But here's the deal. Scripture describes this God of love as also a God of judgment, hand in hand that we can't separate one from the other. 
And we can't conceive of this God of love just in the abstract, just you know, from nature or history or, or religion. Uh, but you want God to be a God of both love and judgment. And that, that, that's not an offensive thing. It's actually a good thing. And I want to give you three reasons why you should see this as a good thing. So this isn't a downer of a message, but this is actually hopeful. So let, let me give you three things. You need a God of judgment. You want a God of judgment. One, because love requires it. Wherever you have love, and particularly when you have deep love, uh, wrath and judgment go right with it. For example, the love between a parent and a child it can be very deep love. But if somebody hurts your child, somebody violates your child, you better believe, and the deeper you love, the deeper your wrath and your desire for justice to be done and for judgment to come. The God of the universe, and we are his children, and when uh, sin and brokenness damages us, that you'd want to see God's wrath and God's hatred of the things that destroy his creation. You want that. When you see, when you have a friend or a loved one who's hurting themselves through uh, addiction or uh, some kind of self-harm, and you don't look indifferently at that. Oh, here's a person I love who's destroying themselves. Ah, no, we hate, we hate that. We hate the things that destroy what we love. When we see injustice, there's this deep desire to see justice, to see wrongs made right. And if the God of the universe was not a judge and there was no consequences for evil or, or, or for destruction, uh, it's, it's all meaningless and very chaotic. But God is a God of justice, so there are consequences for evil. We need that. We want that. At, that point, at this point, you might say, well, okay, I get that. I do. We want justice in the universe. We want God to be a judge in that sense. But I can't, I can't conceive of hell. That's just too... I, I, I like punishment and justice on some level, but hell goes too far. How could God do that? Here's what I say. God does not desire hell for anybody. God does not desire that people be in a broken relationship with him. But God wants all people to, to know his love and to accept his love. But what scripture is clear is that people are free to reject God's love, to, to not choose him. God allows people to reject him, to remain separated from him. And so when we receive and experience God's love and God's blessing, there's fellowship. When we reject God's love and his blessing, that is, that is the essence of hell, is just absence and separation from God, which ultimately we see in this description of judgment here that was read for us in Matthew 25. But it's, it's just, hell just continues a trajectory that was already being lived in this life. Jesus said it like this. This is John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God comes to save and he comes as light, but people reject light. They don't want it. And we think eternally of this, beyond this life, that, that hell is just a continuation of, of rejecting God. 
Now, I know that people look at this view and say, well, that's really, that's a very arrogant view. It's very judgmental. It's really a hateful view, very narrow-minded. But I don't feel hateful and narrow-minded or arrogant. I just, we just disagree about the consequences of sin. I mean, I believe that I believe in hell, and, and you don't, and we just disagree. It's not that we're both narrow-minded in the sense we believe what we believe. I give you this, illustrate it like this. Let's say you and I are going to go for a hike. And we're going to hike to a waterfall we've never been to, and we go together, and we're, we're getting towards the end of the hike, and there's a bridge crossing a, a good-sized ravine. And I look at that bridge, and because of my experience, and I've been hiking, and I've seen bridges, that bridge is not sound, I believe it with all my heart. And it, if you get into the middle of it, it's going to break, and you could become injured or die. I believe that. You're hiking with me, and you hike, and you've seen these things before, and you say, no, that bridge is perfectly sound. I can tell, and it seems like people have been traveling it, and that's how we're going to get to our destination. I believe it firmly, I, I believe sincerely that we can walk across it, and we'll get to the other side, no problem. We, we disagree. You think my belief is wrong, I think you're wrong. If the extension of my wrong belief in your mind is that I'm going to miss out on seeing the waterfall, taking some pictures, and enjoying a beautiful sight. That's the consequences of my wrong belief. But the consequences of your wrong belief, in my mind, is that you're going to get out there and you're going to be in danger and you could be injured or killed. That's a much more severe consequence. Am I more narrow-minded because I think the consequences of this action are, are more severe? I would say no, you wouldn't think I, it's, it's not about being narrow-minded, we just disagree about the consequences. Let's bring it back to, to faith now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you hold certain things are, are uh, evil or, or wrong or bad, and you have perhaps an atheist neighbor or coworker, you could probably find things that you agree on. For example, abuse is a bad thing. You, follower of Jesus, non-believing atheist person probably agree abuse is bad. You probably agree that a random murder of an innocent person is a horrible thing with terrible consequences. You, you probably agree on that, I'd hope. Uh, exploitation, oppression, these things are bad. Okay, we agree these things are bad, these things have bad consequences. Now, the Christian believes that the soul doesn't die at human death, that the soul lives on eternally, and the consequences of all that evil and those bad things that we agree are bad, continue eternally. The Christian believes that. The, the non-believing atheist person doesn't believe that, doesn't believe that the, in the afterlife, so they don't believe that there's eternal consequences. It's just a matter of, it's not that the Christian's judgmental or narrow-minded, they just have a different view of the, how, how severe these, the consequences of these things are. We actually agree more than you think. But if I believe life is eternal, and therefore the things of life can have eternal consequences, that's the difference. That's not narrow-minded, in my opinion. But here's the point. There is, there is a deep sense of justice in the human heart. And I believe it's because God is a God of justice and, and of judgment, and that all wrongs will be made right. We want that. We need that. So we need a God of love who is also the God of judgment. That's the first thing. And love requires it. Second thing, 
You want a God of judgment. You need a God of judgment so that you don't have to be the judge. If we believe that God is a just judge who will make all wrongs right, then, then we, we don't have to be judges of other people. And I, don't, I think this is misunderstood. People think the opposite. They say, if you believe in a God of judgment, then you're going to become a judgmental person. I say, no, actually, that's not it at all. If I believe God's the ultimate judge, it means I actually don't have to get sucked into this trap of, of uh, judging people and, and seeking revenge. I mean, it's a vicious cycle of uh, bitterness and, and anger and rage. I mean, when you are wronged by other people, you, it's, because we have this deep sense of justice, if we don't release it to God, then we have to hold it ourselves and act out on it ourselves. But Scripture teaches in Romans chapter 12, Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So only when I'm confident that there's a God who will settle all accounts that I can just leave it to Him. And I don't have to... I, I, I can refrain from my own vengeance and my own revenge. And that's good news. And this is very practical for... I, my guess is basically everybody in this room. You can think of somebody who, who has wronged you. Maybe it's a small thing, a small grudge that you have or an annoyance that somebody has slighted you. It could be a big thing. Maybe somebody has hurt you, a major violation of trust, a deep wound. Whether it's small or big, my sense is that you could probably think of somebody who just, who you'd like, who has wronged you. Big or small, that feeling could consume you. Particularly if it's somebody who's near you, a family member, or somebody you have to see at work every day. And it, it, this annoyance and the wrong that was done to you just eats you up, and you're trying to accomplish a task at work, and this, this tension is just keeps eating you and, and consuming you. It could become, it could, it could ruin your, your day-to-day. But if you have a deep sense that God is a righteous judge, you can actually release those things. I'm not saying it's easy. To forgive. I'm not saying it's easy to turn it over to God, but you actually have the power to do that because God will judge all things and you can leave it in his hand. It's his. That's very freeing. That's very hopeful. But we need a God who's a judge to do that. So the first thing, love requires that God is a that God is a, a judge. That it frees us up to not be the judge. And thirdly, we want God to be a God of judgment because God is a good judge. He's a, he's a great judge. The, the judge doesn't want you to be condemned. The judge doesn't want you to be found guilty. Again, John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I mean, you, we read a text like this, Matthew 25, and, and here's Jesus coming as a judge, and he's separating people like, like sheep from the goats, and some are uh, to eternal life, and some are to this, uh, this eternal separation from God. It doesn't have to, that can be terrifying when we read that. Kind of scary. But it doesn't have to be. Because we have a judge who not only sits in the seat of the judge, but takes off his judge's robe and, and comes down and sits where the defendant should sit. And even though he's perfect and, and, and righteous, he's, he's unjustly judged and unfairly judged and illegally judged and is found guilty and punished to death on a cross. On our behalf, he sat, I'm supposed to be sitting there. But my judge goes and sits there for me. 
And he goes on the cross for me, in my place. He said, look, I, I, I don't want you to be condemned. I don't want you to be judged. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the judgment for you so you don't have to. I'll trade you my, my good record for the judgment that you deserve. And then we're, we are judged on the basis of, of how we respond to Jesus and that offer to give us that forgiveness. And here the criteria, and the criteria everywhere in Scripture, is how do you respond to Jesus? That's how we will be judged. And Jesus saying, how did you treat me? You know, did, you, did you care for me? Did you love me? They said, well, what do you mean? We didn't, when did we see you needing these things? And he said, well, however you treated my brothers and sisters, my, my disciples, even the least of them, those who were in the most need, how you, how you respond to that is showing how you responded to me. Because if you've received this selfless love that I poured out for you, then selfless love will flow. That will be the outflow of these things. That's, fair, that's a very fair criteria that Jesus gives. How have we responded to Jesus in faith? John chapter 13, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So if, if, you, if, we're, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you're going to love each other. Again, that's what's going on here in Matthew 25. John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is as, as we are connected to Jesus, as we have, are connected to him in faith, to, to his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness, then this, these things flow and Jesus can see it. So he can fairly judge based on what he sees. And it's not, it's not a checklist, not Jesus sitting there with a checklist. Okay, you fed enough hungry people, you've visited enough prisoners and sick people, and you've done enough to be one of my sheep. Some of you haven't done those things, so you're excluded. You say, no, no, that's not, that's not what's going on here. It's a sign of your response to Jesus already that can be seen. It, uh, for example, a doctor. If a doctor wanted to judge if somebody was dead, there's a number of criteria they could use. You could say, the doctor could say, okay, this person's moving, so they're clearly there's life there. Or a doc if a person's not moving, a doctor could check and see, okay, is this person breathing? Okay, there's, there's breath, this person is not dead. Or check for a pulse or a heart, listen for a heartbeat. Okay, the heart is beating, the person is not dead. There's all the criteria that could demonstrate that. And Jesus said, Look, if, you're my, if you've responded to me in faith, which is the only way that you can respond to me, then there's going to be different ways to tell if that has happened. Again, because we receive it only by grace, this great new life and the forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it very, very well. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. We're not saved at the judgment because we've done these good things for people who are hungry or needing clothes. We're saved because of the gift that God has given and we've received through faith. But, the, Ephesians goes on, chapter, uh, verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made you to... to as we connect with him in, in faith and as we receive forgiveness, that these good works will flow from that. 
And this was a very fair criteria. So we have a good judge who is, who is good and judges us fairly and provides everything we need and sits in our place. And there's great hope in that. Look at verse 34. The king, in our text, Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. There's great blessing and reward for those who, who are aligned with the judge. But the judge is good in warning us too. This is a great, we read this passage, what a great warning to those who, whose hearts do not break for the neediest and for the hungry and, and who, who don't care for one another. What a good warning, what a loving warning to say, follow me, the righteous judge. Love, love requires it, that, that, there, that justice would be. That and you're free now, you don't have to judge others. And you're also, uh, you're, you want this because it's, the judge is so good to provide for us and to warn us. What do we do with this? The first thing is this, believe it. If we read Matthew 25 and you say to me, you know what, my heart does not break for the needy. Um, I, I, if this is the judgment, if this is how it's going to go down, I cannot stand. I will not make it. I will not pass. I say to you, receive forgiveness and grace. And ask God to change your heart, your, your selfish, self-centered heart, to be transformed by his grace from the inside out, that your heart would be changed, to, to, that it would bear fruit in this way. It's, it's his gift to you, and he will give it to you. Just believe this good news. Secondly, though, if you have experienced this, and God is working on your heart. Re release it. You now have received forgiveness on such a tremendous level that radical grace and forgiveness can flow from you. Release any bitterness, anger towards people. Release it to God's hand. And, and as I am sharing this, God might be putting somebody on your heart. Somebody you know you're probably going to see when you leave this place. Hopefully it's not somebody sitting near you here. It could be. Release it. Release it to God's hands. It's not for you to, to avenge and to judge. That's God's work. But we need him to be the judge to do it. Lastly, demonstrate it. Demonstrate this. The judge has given himself, poured out himself for you sacrificially. Now we can serve other people. You're free not to be focused on your own. You're, you're, he's got you. He's got you in his hands. You will... Be blessed at the judgment. This is a good thing. Wrongs will be made right. He'll take care of it. But now you are free to go about your everyday life extending mercy to others, extending care, food to those who are hungry, to clothing to those who need it. You, you can go and just live a life of radical selflessness and generosity. The God of judgment is the God of love. And we need him to be the God of love and the God of judgment. We need to put your faith in him. Amen.